friends, forgiveness may seem like a straightforward kind of topic for people who are discussing the, the, the teachings of Jesus. Jesus himself talks about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. And it's also part of the Apostles' Creed, the thing that Christians around the world say every Sunday, and, and sometimes more, that we are part of this, uh, this communion of saints, and that this communion of saints is notable for, uh, you know, forgiving sins. Mm-hmm. It's about the forgiveness of sins. And yet, this is not as simple a topic as sometimes people think. We're talking about uh, this idea of forgiveness from Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. The chapter is chapter 9 in the Protect Your Noggin with Jesus series, Don't Balance Your Books. This is where Jesus urges us to let go of our moral and spiritual bean counting. And yet, this can be very difficult because as we're going to look at this passage, you know, it it almost feels like this is more burdensome than some of the other things we carry, that, that we sometimes have these, um, these moments and these people in our lives that we have a hard time um, kind of dealing with, mm-hmm. a hard time letting go of sometimes the trauma that's involved when we recall those people and these things. And so we sometimes think maybe, maybe we're in trouble, but let's, um, let's look at the verse so that it'll make more sense to people that maybe aren't familiar with the text. Um, for us, mm-hmm. growing up in evangelical Christianity in America, you know, this was, this was something that was very difficult to, to wrestle with. Absolutely. So give and it be- a shot. And before I read it, I just do want to mention that we have done another show on forgiveness before, and that was season one, episode 15. And that's for an extended conversation on forgiveness, and, and especially when we talk about the topic of when forgiveness gets weaponized. We're going to have a slightly different take on this part, um, not that it still that can still obviously apply but what we're just we're we'll going to be hitting on different themes right, uh, yeah. from this this passage we'll be expanding here. so again Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 through 35 Peter asked Lord when my brother sins against me how often should I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus answered I'm telling you not as many as seven times but as many as 70 times seven The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated this way. A ruler wanted to settle up accounts with all his servants. As he was going through each account, he came to one debtor who owed him nearly four and a half billion dollars. Now, since this debtor had no funds, the master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and every last possession until he was paid back. The servant fell to his knees and begged, be kind hearted toward me and I will pay everything back. Being moved with compassion, the master released the servant and forgave his debt. Going out on his way, however, this same servant came across one of his fellow servants who owed him about $10,000. So he grabbed the indebted servant and started choking him, demanding, pay what you owe. The servant fell to his knees and begged, be kind-hearted toward me and I will pay everything back. But he was unrelenting and threw this fellow servant into prison until such time as he could pay back what he owed. The rest of the servants were appalled when they saw all this go down. So they went to their master to tell him what had happened. So the master summoned the forgiven servant back and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you a massive debt because you pleaded with me. Don't you think you should have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
Enraged, the master handed the servant over to the jailers until such time as he could pay back everything he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive every one of your fellow humans from the bottom of your heart. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's a, it is heavy. Um, it what, starts out very, very relatable and ends up very terrifying if you're thinking right. from an evangelical perspective, especially, I think. Now, one of the things when I was first reading this that I noticed was, you know, the idea of the nearly four and a half billion dollars versus $10,000 dollars mm. and where did where did you come up with that when you were translating? I will not stand by that one hundred percent, but it is the best I could do to research the the way in which these dollars or these shekels or these denarii uh, would would translate to modern times. And so, of course, most commentators have recognized that the unforgiving servant had this insurmountable debt. It was just too big um, for him to ever really be able to pay Possibly it back. Possibly pay, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the billions, right, are both helpful in terms of... Oh, there's a little <laughs> butterfly. Yes. Uh, the billions are helpful because, you know, for most of us, we will never see a billion dollars, let alone multiple billions, and let and alone... And to be released, <laughs> the significance of being released... Of that debt, right? right? And then, and then to then call on the ten thousand, <laughs> you know, from right. another, you and know. So, so that's but a I think the ten thousand makes a little bit more sense because it's a significant enough debt that we might go to small claims court over it, or I guess small mm-hmm. claims. Who knows what that the number is there? But you know, we might take somebody to court over ten thousand and maybe let a fifty dollar, you know, problem go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but the uh, the numbers there relate to really only one way that we can kind of calibrate this, and that is the amount of time it would take for somebody under normal conditions to earn enough to pay it back. I was even thinking, if you get thrown into prison, how do you possibly even pay it back, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it would would definitely stifle your ability to make money. It's impossible to really perfectly relate this to, to today's money. But we can understand that, you know, let's say... Forty to seventy thousand dollars would be what a talent would be in that mm. case, but we're dealing now with a, a, a different kind of society where the expectations are not suburban, and so about ten thousand dollars makes a little bit more sense when you're starting to think about these things. But the main point is that these uh, these sometimes escape us in term the the way that Jesus is teaching mm-hmm. sometimes is is lost on us because we don't really know what these units of of monetary value are worth. And so the main point is that the unforgiving servant had this debt that is completely insurmountable. Mm-hmm. And yet the debt that he was trying to extract from somebody else was also pretty significant, right? I mean, this is 2020 and $10,000 still matters yeah, to us, yeah. right? So I think I think that's the best way to read that. It's not like it was just a couple hundred bucks or fifty bucks. It was it was a legitimate concern. Yeah. The other thing that struck me when I was when I was reading that verse was that that he originally said, you know, just have. Oh, who's he? The I'm sorry. The the, the first servant that owed the huge amount of debt. Right, the unforgiving servant. Right. He said, you know, just basically kind of have mercy on me, and I'll pay everything back. And you know the. His master basically just had compassion on him and forgave him. He didn't ask, please forgive me of all of this debt, right? He he basically just thought he would be in this world of where he was definitely going to pay it back, 
and just yeah. give me some more time. It was it was a pathetic way of still trying to play a part in the system that he couldn't really win. But he was still bought into that system, is yeah. what I'm saying, because obviously he walked away from his conversation uh, with the master that forgave him, and then went, and he still was seeing the world through those eyes, through the eyes of that I owe this debt, that, you know, he knows it was forgiven, but that somebody else should be expected to pay me back. Right. So yeah, he, he never once demonstrates the idea that he's letting go or trying to toss out the whole system itself. Right. Which is interesting. And I think that that reminds me of that, you know, that um, there's the setting aside the ledger that uh, Capen has come up with. Yeah. Robert Capen has a really great series, you know, in his, uh, in his uh, corpus, right? Mm-hmm. The, the body of his writings. So uh, Robert Capen was a, um, it was an Episcopal priest who did some writing and he was really emphasizing the idea of grace. And, uh, but he talks about these parables and sometimes he talks about the parables of judgment in ways I think that um, few have been able to uh, really surpass in terms of the graciousness in and, and behind the parables of judgment. And he basically says of this parable that what's going on is that the unforgiving servant is someone who essentially is uh, condemned by the ledger. This is why we're saying in the title, don't, you know, don't balance, don't your, balance, books. Your, don't balance your books. Right. Well, it, what, what, I, what we mean is don't be going back to the book mm-hmm. to try to get your justification because as you go to this, this book that has the debts of other people, it also is bound up with your own debts. Mm-hmm. So essentially the master, or if you want to make it theological, God takes this book of debts and tosses it into the dumpster. And this is great for those of us who are debtors, which is, <laughs> which is all of us. And, uh, and at the same time, if you go back into the dumpster, if you become a spiritual dumpster diver, and you go back in and try to get that book back out, you're going to be able to use it against your fellow human being to extract whatever they owe you, but your own debts are still there. And so I think Capon's interpretation was very helpful for me because I was always worried that I had nothing to fear from God that when, when I was growing up in mm-hmm. evangelicalism, that if I just believed in Jesus, all my sins would be forgiven, perhaps with one exception, not feeling that sense of forgiveness for others. Right. And so now I'm back, back you know, to square. Yeah, you know, back I, I, I definitely, yeah, I know what you're saying. And I definitely yeah, felt that too. And, and before we get to what the, the right answer is though, that Capon is, it was really helpful for saying that basically what this means is don't bring back that system, yeah. get rid of the system of transaction, get rid of the system of, of spiritual bean counting or else it's not going to go well for you. There's no, there's no, there's no advantage in you bringing back the books to try to be right. judgy because once you're starting that, that business of judging others, it's going to end up hurting you. So basically, the first servant, he never really woke up and realized that there's a whole new system that we could Bingo. be talking about yeah. here. You know, so he, he's still holding on to this other system. And, and that's how we learn to operate, right? Yeah. And, and it's hard. No to... one tells us that the system is arbitrary. <laughs> right. We invented it, but and we pretend like it's... the more that we buy into heavenly. it, the, yeah. more, you know, the more real it is. <laughs> and the more that the other ha- people buy into the it. The harder, harder it is to you know, just sort of realize, huh, is this, is this actually serving us? Is, it, is, this, you know, is this a good system? And um, should we keep abiding by all of these particular rules, right? Yeah. 
you know, I think of even now you look at our economic system in general and how much debt that people are so easily finding themselves in just to get by. Yeah. You know, it starts, it starts pretty young. I mean, it's, we start off with college often, you know, if if it's not even sooner, sooner, you know, um, and it's expected. I remember even, I don't know, it must've been right before, right. You know, my early years of college, I remember going by the beach and they were, I I don't know, they wanted to give me a t-shirt if I signed up for a credit card. It's so funny what kind of <laughs> chump change or what, what kind of tchotchkes they throw at you so that you can become indebted for the rest of your life. Yeah, a t-shirt, yeah, and a I, koozie. I, and I mean, now, like, those are, of course, I don't want another junk t-shirt, you know? I don't even know why I wanted, I guess I just wanted something free. <laughs> I don't really know, but I mean, I'm sure I didn't want their, you know, credit card logo <laughs> branded Well, you wouldn't t-shirt. want it now. <laughs> But I don't know. You're way you too know. Hip for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I don't even understand why that was an attractive right. offer. But I was I was lured in. Well, you could be a big person now. You can have a credit card. And I wanted. Well, and I, no. But for me, I wanted the T-shirt because I remembered. You even, actually wanted the T-shirt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. because I remembered filling out the form saying I had no income. And I like I tried not to actually get approved for the credit card. You I just wanted the T-shirt. I didn't want the credit card. Oh. Um, but the funny thing is, is that. I had saved up enough money that... I think we were just married at the time. Uh, were we? Well, that because was... you put down, I get all my money from my husband. Didn't you say that? I've said that before, too. So I don't know. Well, that's what but you maybe, said. I thought you said maybe, on this. Maybe this time. But I thought I had a credit card before then. But anyway, I do know that I had had a car loan. And so I had credit. Right. And I'd paid on it. And I think that they you know, they looked at my credit worthiness and still gave me the credit card. And I just remember it was a horrendous interest rate, though. But my point is, though, <laughs> it doesn't take much sometimes for us to get our children to be qualified for credit cards. Um, and then thousands and thousands of dollars in debt and student loans sometimes. And sometimes yeah. with jobs that it might take them a very long time to pay that off. Um, you know, it's, I mean, some are better, you know, better outcomes for income than well, others. We've got friends in professions that, that may be having second thoughts, but they don't get to have those second thoughts yeah. because they're so indebted to that profession. I mean, think well, of all, like with going anytime you're going to be a doctor or anything, yeah. it's not just your undergraduate, <laughs> it's all your, you know, your other stuff afterwards and med school. And But I, isn't that wild? You like, you ask a young person. To make a Even commitment. Even in their 20s, to make a commitment for the rest of their lives that if they try to get out of it, they're failures and they're indebted and in ways they, they can't pay back. Be frustrated. You know, their yeah. parents might get frustrated with them because they helped them somehow and that kind of thing. Too. And that's our world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I look at. Even just trying to buy a house these days, I feel like um, proportionately even our income to the cost of the housing, especially in our area in Southern California, I think has the percentages have greatly increased, you know, from say my grandfather's generation versus when your grandpa moved to Norwalk, he was probably expecting even without college to make $20,000. I think it's about what he paid for his house too. And that's for, for the whole thing. It was about, about a year's income, I think is what it started out to be. And then, and now you can't, it's not even a drop in the bucket sometimes. Yeah. Compared to everything else. Cause that's another thing we've added on all these additional things that we pay for, you know, even cars. It's not, you know, usually we go to a car lot and buy a brand new car not very often do you, we we've turned to going to used cars, but then of course you've got you know car maintenance and things like that that you have to keep up. But sometimes but, there's this this idea that you're 
somehow less moral or less worthy. Yeah, it, right? the, depending the, on what car you're I, driving. I think this is the problem of society where we, we, we don't just say it, – it's not like where we say um, – it, well, well, that person was overextending themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't get into too much debt. We almost kind of pressure oh, well, young people into debt. You know, get the credit, get the credit card, and you know, pay it down, and that's going to be good for your credit. But this idea that 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 maybe you're not going to be good at your job if you show up in something that's a, a jalopy, yeah. right? So go ahead and 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 get yourself into a situation where you need that job. So badly that you'll do anything to keep that payment going yeah. for the car that got you to your job. Well, and <laughs> when when the interest rates are low enough, I can't tell you, especially years ago, because there was people kept making so much money off of the homes that it was always stretch as far as you can, yeah. you know, to get the house that you want, so that you you know that maybe could be your forever home. I think was the idea at the lowest interest rate you could possibly get. And that that was a, a smart financial thing to do. And and I don't know, I just, you start to think of all of the different ways where we have so many expenses on our plate and you can't afford not to work for sure. Right. Um, and you, ha- you you start to get enslaved by the whole system. You don't really have as many opportunities or choices and you, you do need to make sure that you're able to pay all your bills, whatever that takes. When we went to move into our place that we bought in Evergreen, Colorado, which we loved. It was wonderful. It wasn't like I felt guilty for stretching to get into that place. Mm -hmm. I felt guilty for not stretching farther. And I shouldn't have. But it was the idea that people advised us that yeah. it was good to stretch as far as you could to to leverage things in, in, in such a way that you would take advantage of all the blessings that would come if we got into significant debt by getting a house that might have been 150% as expensive. Yeah. If we could do that, then why wouldn't we? Because we would be giving that to our children. We'd be giving it to our, our future selves in a way mm-hmm. because the idea was that uh, indebtedness is is the way that you can enter into the system even if you're not you know landed gentry if you're not yeah. people who come with uh, with all that wealth and so there's this false promise given to people and almost it, 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 almost the sickest thing i think about our society is this idea don't worry you know you're a first generation college student or you you're a person who has parents that are impoverished and you know maybe you don't have a way of uh you know um getting this so what we're going to do is we're going to give you this gift of this loan. Oh, yeah. And now the gift of this loan becomes a gift of wage slavery, of servitude to the debt for the rest of your life. I, and we see this Yeah. I want to add one across more, the board. one more thing from my own experiences. I you know, I'm thinking about when the kids were little and trying to raise the children and I think you and I both had two different pressures on us probably, but one, I had always obviously I wanted to be there I wanted to be home and, and helping to raise the children. I, so I, I definitely had that desire and be a big part of their lives. Uh, I, we really couldn't afford me not to make anything. And right. so I always tried to find jobs that, you know, I could work around your schedule or, you know, and that kind of thing. And still we had one of us home with the kids all the time. Also, there was sort of this feeling that sometimes church had put on us that we're less than if... I'm not just a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then... <laughs> church? Church sometimes, yes. Where well, People at church wanted you to 
So oh, if, no, people, I'm, if I'm, oh, I'm oh, the mom. Church was mad at you for going to work. Yeah, if I go to right. work. Right, so like people at work are kind of mad at you for not being a full professional. People at church are right. mad at you for so, not being and a full And those jobs I wasn't a full professional. But right. when you were working in academics, I was always embarrassed to say that, right. oh, I'm. I see where you're going. I take care yeah. of my. So it's, it's these two different worlds, but also I don't know if you felt any pressure as a man, um, you know, that your wife did work. Uh, you know, sometimes that's a thing too, where, right. you know, there's pressure on men in our society. No, I know that, a lot of conservative Christian guys that, that are beating themselves up right? because they can't be the single breadwinner, but that's like how, how long ago was that? I know. I know. <laughs> you I, know? So I'm just saying that there's yeah, this, there's yeah. this strange thing though, sometimes where there's, oh, tyrannical. This, there's this pressure where you're supposed to, you know, have this house and do all these things, take care of the kids. I mean, how can we possibly be everything, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and still, you know, put food on the table. But so that there is this, you know, this immense amount of, of pressure and even just, so we think that sometimes, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of be a little sly here and we're going to, you know, get a property and it'll be a vacant land and we'll, you yeah. know, we'll start there and just build something, you know, the Dow surfer ranch, <laughs> build something that's, you know, modest or something on there. Super dobe. What we find out, you know, is that all the permits and, and the planning and everything they want ahead of time, that is so expensive that even just to begin the process of even something very small, they want us to take. It takes thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, and, and it's that, and they and to get there, they expect that you're going to be indebted. More loans. So they want you to be part of the system. So the idea is, we get this, we get this, uh, you know, three and a half acres of dirt or whatever, and we're trying to figure out, right? Like, are we going to be able to slowly and incrementally pay? This was our idea: pay for each moment in the buildup mm-hmm. with cash. And thinking about how much that would free us from this idea of, of servitude and indebtedness. And it turns out that they don't want you to do it that way. Right. They want you, in fact, they won't let you put any of the pieces together until you have, essentially, the big master a big loan. plan that involves a loan. I can have, yeah. a, some, I can have a tiny home on our property. <laughs> Not Only if it's the second house, and if, it if requires still a $20,000 permit. <laughs> right, right. So, I, like, I need to be able to already be indebted to the system for the system to let me have the mm-hmm. opportunity to let my kids live you know, in a, yeah. in a in a tiny home behind my house, right? But I couldn't choose to live in a modest home that totally suited my needs and grow my own food. No, no, no. I have to go into debt before I'm allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the whole the whole thing is rigged, right? Right. And I and, and the importance here is that we we often think about well, the, the New Testament and Jesus are talking about debts, and they're talking about sins, talking about primarily sins that God is is uh, going to you know punish us for mm-hmm. when we get to the pearly gates. And that's, you know, that's part of the Christian conversation. But one of the things that's really missed by many people is the way in which Jesus is all talk, also talking about a world in which people are enslaved by debt. And we are ourselves living right now in a world that is enslaved often by debt. Governments mm-hmm. and corporations and people. One more thing I want to mention is I was... Really startled when I I just saw the the headline. I didn't read the article, but I saw recently that obviously with right now we're during the time of uh, the pandemic and lockdowns are happening. The economy has gone into the tanks, and and they're talking about when you know they open things back up that they're a little afraid and almost it almost sounded like 
they were going to be negative towards people that weren't going to go out and buy things and that they were maybe save up some money. And so that it was going to take even, you know, the economy was going to take even a harder hit because people would be reluctant to, to spend. And it, it just made me think that here, you know, if you're in a position where you were, you know, maybe just narrowly being able to pay the bills and things, you know, of course you're going to want to save and not, you know, jeopardize losing your home or, you know, or even getting food and all this other stuff that, but for it to get almost like you're not being patriotic or something, if you don't go Yo, we've seen and, this before. and spend the money yeah, and go that's out all there fine and shop if, if you have money, I guess, America. you know, if, yeah. if, if you've got the extra money and yeah, I mean, I guess don't hoard it, but wow. Like there's so many people that are just hanging on by yeah. a thread or not even that, you know, or people that are scared. Yeah. I mean, my, my grandparents lived through the great depression and they would go and seek out deals, and they would save. And, and you we, know. we had a we had a friend too who kept getting audited by the IRS just because he had too much money saved in his his business. Yeah, he kept it in cash. He didn't reinvest it, or he and didn't so take out new loans. And so they kept wanting to check him out and see what he was up to. It was almost like he was being punished, you know, for not putting that money back into circulation and and using it. You know, I don't know. It, it, no, I I mean, dear listener. Pay attention to this. There's a way in which there are these subtle signals that say, invest in a life that incurs debt, mm-hmm. or else we will shun you. We will scorn you. Yeah. And, and, or in, or in the case of our you. friend, hassle you. you and, and so like, who, who, who's to say that saving is a bad thing? Right. I mean, there's, there's all these economic arguments, but, but like, according to what metric? What are yeah. we trying to do? Well, and, and yeah, exactly. And, oh, there's another concept of the company store. Yeah. Um, will you share about that? Because that was fascinating when that, when that came up. Yeah, well, when we were in Kentucky, we, we learned a little bit about some of these coal mining towns and how they had these booms and busts. But we also learned about the ways in which there was this um, very painful relationship sometimes with the corporations that owned the, the coal mining facilities or the mines. And that is that, you know, you'd, you'd go in, you'd risk your life, you'd go into these dangerous conditions to, to mine coal, and then you'd have just enough money to be able to feed your family. And sometimes if things were tough, you could go into the company store and say, well, I, I don't have enough money for beans, but uh, mm-hmm. you, you could buy your groceries on credit. But now you found yourself in a situation where you could never leave the corporation right. because you were indebted you to the corporation. than what you could make work, you know, working yeah. for them. That's, so these are white know. folks in Kentucky that That's didn't crazy. think of themselves as slaves mm-hmm. but had been enslaved by a system. Mm-hmm. And that system was run through you know, this idea of debt with at very high interest. Right. And so I, I know... And we're obviously, we've got a lot of examples here. I think it's just important that we mention that we are bringing this up because financial manipulation is part of how we are controlled, right? Yeah. And, and that it... Money matters. Yeah, money <laughs> matters, definitely. And we don't, we don't always feel it the same way until we stop and look at it and, 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 you know, or until all of a sudden everything isn't working, right? Yeah, how much money are we, you know, really paying to a system rather than mm-hmm. to the person who, you know, does our laundry or, I mean, we do our own laundry. But I'm saying, like, pe- yeah. people have these different roles within society in the, in the classical village. And now it just kind of gets evaporated into this, mm-hmm. you and know, there, mathematical yeah. <laughs> soup. And there is this, the biblical rejection of usury um, in yeah. Exodus and chapter 22, verse 24, they talk about that. Can you 
and, and then also the concept of the year of Jubilee too, which is in Leviticus. Yeah, like so the, the old the Hebrew Bible is filled with a concern for people who are indebted. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, straight off, it's relatively recently, like, you know, the Renaissance, where European Christians and Christians in general started to think, well, maybe we can dispense with this problem of usury. Um, you know, it's in, the, it's in the Hebrew Bible, it's in the Old Testament, that uh, lending to your neighbor at interest is an aggressive, almost criminal act. And now it is part of the American Christian system. Right. So, I mean, for folks who are just thrilled with this idea of biblical inerrancy, like we need to have biblical marriage and biblical values. Well, one of the biblical values is that you shouldn't have a system based on debt. And at the same time, I recognize during the Reformation, there were ways in which debt allowed people who didn't have means to be able to get access to entrepreneurial um, benefits. So, you know, there's a, there's a value in small business loans. But our friend uh, Andrew Syed was, um, you know, interested in developing these ideas of microloans for small businesses in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing, you know, inherently wrong with the concept, but the system that says that indebtedness is kind of part and parcel of, of what it means to be part of society is um, is I think it's it's a form of it, sa- slavery, really. Slavery, and or it's problematic, slavery. and yeah. it's not it's not biblical. And then you met, and then you mentioned the year of jubilee. the The year of jubilee is this idea that every fifty years that you just kind of get rid of all these these debts, the canceling out yeah. of all of the debt, and that you happens how, how often does that every fifty, 50 years, years? Right? Yeah. The idea. Now, I don't care, you know, if we wanted to implement something like that every fifty years or whatever. But the idea that we are going to allow individuals and classes of society to be under this avalanche of inescapable debt is—it's not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's a—it's a justice issue. It is a spiritual issue. It's an mm-hmm. ethical issue that we should allow any of our fellow human beings to be crushed by this insufferable uh, shame and financial obligation of, of debt that compounds on itself is, uh, you know, the Muslim world, the Jewish world and the Christian world all at least unite on this one thing, that that sort of thing, um, interest rates that are unpayable are, are, yeah, I think piracy is is the point. And, I think and you know, and rejected. I think I see in that level, you know, it's easy. Like, what are the interest rates that are being charged, or you know, some of that kind of stuff? Because what is interesting is even when we saw some of the government stimulus money come for even small businesses, and then it's like, oh, like free money is being passed out here is what it. You know, some people are some of the companies were applying for it that had no business applying for it, you yeah. know, that they were just taking advantage of anything that they could get their hands on. And they weren't quite in the same boat as say, even like my aunt and uncle who just have a small like uh, motel that they, right. you know, can't obviously get people to come right now, but it's, you know, it's in a touristy area, which when things pick back up, you know, it'd be great if they could be in business. Right. Yeah. But then you get these bigger companies that, they can get, you know, the loans or, or things like that, that they are a little bit more financially um, not living, you know, so close to paycheck to paycheck that yeah. um, are also getting millions of dollars, some of them, which was crazy. Corruption is not new. Corruption at the top of the pecking order is not new. What's kind of new is the idea that 
that Christians should should be supportive of that system mm-hmm. of exploitation. Right. I think that's the thing that is is the great hoodwink of the twentieth and twenty first century that Christians have become cheerleaders of usury and indebtedness, right. and and yet we look around at our neighbors and our friends and we realize the toll, the emotional, spiritual, um, physical sometimes right. in terms of just like their tireless nights and their um, sometimes addictions that kind of flow out of this hopelessness mm-hmm. that comes from usury, which mm-hmm. is totally unbiblical. So I want to switch gears a tiny bit here and talk about a little bit more of the relational aspect of forgiveness. Yeah. And one of the things I just want to summarize really quick, because I mentioned that we have done a show on forgiveness in season one, episode 15, and that was when forgiveness gets weaponized. And there's four main points I just want to quickly go over, um, just because I... I think, unfortunately, in at least our experience, often forgiveness turns into, you know, I don't know, it's something that you have to do to avoid hell, like we talked about. But like we said, it's used as a weapon to promote what other people are, are, are doing and things. Anyway, I'm just going to go over these points. To protect people. It's used as a weapon in the sense that... To protect that, the perpetrators. Yeah. To protect the offenders. Those in power. Right. So, number one, forgiveness shouldn't be used to keep victims of abuse in line. Yep. You know, that's a quick and easy one that often, you know, that you think that that's the power over, that you have over the one that was hurt in the situation. Yeah, don't cause any trouble for our marketing department. (laughs) Don't bring this up. Forgive. Right. And and, and that's again this because is the impl- all the time. They think the implications yeah. and the, the system is too great to withstand perhaps your um, complaints or, you know, your grievances. And so they just want to shove it underneath the rug. That, yeah. You know, that's where that kind of comes from. I like that line. Shove it. Some, some <laughs> shove people it. sweep things under the rug. Stacey's <laughs> talking about it. shoving. But they, they do. Like, <laughs> they they do. get shoved under. It's like, <laughs> hey, we don't need to deal with that. That's not good for business. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then number two, forgiveness can be a tempting way to bypass the hard work of facing structural problems that led to a trauma in the first place. That one's like the first, but instead of somebody else telling us that we should pipe down, we pipe down ourselves because it's just too overwhelming to think about what we have to process about the system, about our families. It's just so complicated and ingrained in a system Yeah, that how do you unravel that and how do you get yeah. out of it you know so no come on everybody listener you you got to know this sometimes you forgive somebody in your family because you just don't want to have a hard time this thanksgiving you know you just say well i forgive you and what you really mean is i'm just not willing to die on this particular hill right. but you don't really have a sense of how that's going to be reconciled right and then number three all sins are not equal. <laughs> this one, this one, we I think we spent some time on in that show, but it's also just important to note that the reason that people bring this up is is sometimes a good one that mm-hmm. that we we're all flawed, and so we we don't want to be judgy, and so you know if you're pointing one finger, three fingers are pointing it back at you, and and, and that's true. At the same time, this idea that uh, all sins are equal is incredibly problematic for. Um, for the sake of communities where you have, you know, religious wolves in sheep's clothing, where you have, um, where you have this this idea that somebody is called out on something egregious, and they just dismiss it as saying, well, you know, there's gossipers and there's embezzlers like me, there's lustful people, and then there's people that predate, 
you mm-hmm. know, on, on, on other well, people in the vulnerable people. That's, that's not how it's to be applied. It's incredibly dangerous when it is. Yeah. And for me, it was confusing because, you know, I would think, well, if I've, if I've, you know, told a white lie here, you know, and all sins are equal, like then this bigger lie, I've already made, you know, I've already messed up on, <laughs> on that sin, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's sort of, where do you draw the line of, um, you know, I, I didn't really look to other people to tell, them how I should or shouldn't behave, but it made it harder sometimes to sometimes do the right thing because you're thinking, well, I've already messed up. You know? It's a move that the Nazis made. Whenever somebody would complain about something someone in power would do in the Nazi regime, they'd say, well, what about these folks? Mm-hmm. These folks do that. And this is, this is true in American culture these days. Don't criticize me. What about these people. Yeah. I remember there was there was one time I had posted something about some televangelist who had just completely gone off, you know, gone off on this complete um, tirade when he was caught in something silly. And people said, "Well, what about Al Sharpton?" I thought, "Well, okay. <laughs> Why do you have to pick on some other clergy person that happens to be African American?" And, and to the person's credit, they backed off. But I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the idea is that, yeah, in 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 informal fallacies, uh, informal fallacies include uh, this informal fallacy called the tu quoque fallacy, which means you also. Tu quoque in Latin means you also, and it, it's this uh, idea that when somebody attacks something you're doing, you could just say, well, you do it too, or somebody else does it too. Uh, again, it's an informal fallacy, an argument, and yet it's something that we see all the time. Instead of dealing with the corruption in our own midst, we just say, well, the other people that are our enemies also do this. And it doesn't get us anywhere. Right. And the last point, forgiveness does not imply trust. And I think that that is, you know, super important to remember that just because you have forgiven somebody, it doesn't mean you, you know, resubject yourself to be put in the same position to get harmed all over again. Um, it, it doesn't imply trust at all. It's trust has to be earned. At, you know, at that point, especially when the trust has been broken, and forgiveness is more about you releasing what this has over you and on you and your connection to a person, rather than like now they're you know as if their slate is just completely wiped clean, mm-hmm. um, so that you can you know trust them all over again. I, I that would require repentance. Yeah, in terms of punishment, we could say we're going to remove the punishment, so it's it's wiped clean in that sense. Mm-hmm. But but the idea is you could exonerate somebody uh, in terms of legality and still not let them babysit your children. Right, right. You yeah. could, and you it could, wouldn't be wise for you to. Have it would them be it would watch. be sometimes immoral, right? Like there there mm-hmm. are people that in the eyes of the law should be acquitted because of illegal search and seizure, because of uh, you know uh, police misconduct. And that doesn't mean that we put them into positions where they're in control of the, um, you know, the church treasury, right? You know, or the Sunday school kids. Sometimes we just need to say there are practical ways in which uh, we need to keep these boundaries, and we need to keep these boundaries for ourselves. It should go without saying, but very often it doesn't in religious communities. You know, I've with my end of life doula training, I was had been learning a lot about grief and the process of grief. And I realized that as, you know, forgiveness is a process. And as we were working through it and trying to get there, you know, to get to the point of forgiveness, I realized that there's so many things that we exhibit that are 
following, you know, the stages of grief and that there's a huge connection here that we exhibit in, in, in the process of forgiveness as we're going through the process yeah. of forgiveness, um, or trying to get there, right. Mm-hmm. That we've been harmed and, you know, maybe let me just go through it because I, I think it'll make more sense mm-hmm. that with grief and the process of grieving, there's a loss obviously. And it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you lose a loved one, that's a pretty obvious thing or whatever, but there are also losses that come with transitions. I mean, even, you know, obviously we've talked about that a little bit in, in an episode, but when, when somebody has harmed you, there is a loss there. And we don't always realize uh, what it is. We don't always realize our natural behavior because of this happening to us that we go through these various stages and it, and it just happens. And so because we don't have a framework for it, Sometimes we can even just get down on ourselves because like, for instance, one of the stages is anger Mm -hmm. and you say, well, you know, now if I'm angry, am I, am I just now committing a different sin? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. is my anger okay? And, and some, even if, even if you have the anger, you may not realize why you have the anger. And so I think that the important thing is, is sometimes when you have been harmed or in in a situation, that somebody has done something, a breach of trust or something. I mean, there's so many different losses you could have. I mean, it could be just that your, you know, your security is threatened, your trust. You lost trust. You You've know, lost a sense of safety. You've lost belonging. You've lost... It depends on what it is and what's happened. But I think that it's important for us to investigate that a little further. And so, the you know, the stages of grief... It's not just, it's not like, they're not linear. It's not, you know, they're, you, you're going to be random and all over the place as you're going through it. Um, and one of the stages is... Who, who developed these stages? Oh, sorry. Um, so Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did, and she co-wrote two books with David Kessler, who I have heard him speak now a few times on grieving in the process, you know, the, the stages of grief and things. And so I'm getting most of my information from David Kessler, um, but and and also obviously the work that David uh, that Elizabeth Kubler Ross had outlined. So denial, okay. I see that one very, of the stages. One of the stages is denial, and I see that it's huge. That's the that's the part where I'm okay. It's fine, and I think that that's where we aren't processing. You know, we want to move right to the forgiveness, maybe as a shortcut. Yeah, and we maybe um, you know aren't don't want to admit that we have been hurt or that there is a loss or, or maybe don't even know how to, maybe we're not ready to, you know, maybe. Um, and the other thing I think too, sometimes is the shame that might go along with what about me made me susceptible to this person hurting me. You so know? denial is like a false form of forgiveness. I don't forgive the evil that was done to me. I just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's sort of some of that's often sort of where we're at when we're doing that quick little forgiveness, and we think that we could just maybe just say fine, I forgive you, and move on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, though, I think you're you know depending on the loss and how great it is, it will come back to haunt you, and then you're left with this feeling of well, do I even deserve to be able to be processing this because I said I forgave them, yeah, and. I, I mean, shouldn't I just move on? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And why can't I move on? And I think there's that temptation to sort of get down on ourselves 
uh, for, you know, that we gave forgiveness too quickly or whatever in that. And I think we need to give ourselves space to still process it. And I honestly think there's part of it that you really can't forgive what you didn't realize you were forgiving. <laughs> you Say know? more about that. Well, if you... What are you forgiving if you didn't forgive what your loss was? If you didn't even yeah. know what loss you had? You're not forgiving the loss. You're forgiving... I, you know, you're you're forgiving an unknown. You're forgiving, you know. So well, like, it's yeah. We can already, you even say? That, sometimes we just say sorry, just to to move past the discomfort, right? Yeah. But it, it's not true forgiveness if you didn't even realize what the loss, what the loss was. Yeah. Well, what are some what are some losses? Like for me, for me, like you you mentioned, like loss of trust. Mm-hmm. But there are. I mean, like so many positive words that we can take away, right? Like, so if you, if you were in a dating relationship and somebody betrayed you in a dating relationship, you lose intimacy, intimacy, the joy of life, hope. I mean, like, there's like a lot of things. Now you can, you can blow that out of proportion. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. But to recognize that that's what's at stake is helpful. Right. Because in another sense, well, so-and-so sleazy and they were making out with somebody else, like, I, what what loss is that to me other than some kind of sense of honor or something right it's, it's just important to kind of and process I, all those those things that go into whatever that trauma was and i think that the other important part about processing that is sometimes we just do like we can be tempted to do blanket statements that we can't trust anybody yeah. And maybe actually by looking at the situation a little further, this person was particularly untrustworthy that there were signs that maybe you ignored that maybe mm-hmm. you could trust somebody else, but you, you know, can learn to watch out for certain things, right? So that you're not put in the same position. Yeah. When you're attracted to the bad guy and then right. the bad guy does bad things right. and then you think, oh, well, how, what, <laughs> you know, and you always always seem to see this pattern in relationships and you keep choosing the same type of person. Right. Why are you expecting a different outcome, really? Right. You know, I'm not saying that it is your fault that these things are put on you, but I'm saying that that doesn't mean you can't trust any right. guy. But we do tend to allow those things, and they just naturally do, tend to knock away from us some of these positive aspects of living. Right. They can, um, yeah. 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 They can. They can get So at them. least acknowledging it, allows us to know to grieve, it. to grieve it and what we're yeah because that's what you're dealing with you're dealing with this idea that forgiveness and grief have a lot of similarities what else do you got the other part is you know anger and i briefly mentioned that and i think that one of the things and i do this and i don't know but um sometimes you know i can be tempted to judge my emotions and not realize that anger you know there's a there's an, <laughs> an improper anger but anger in the sense of Injustice, right? Mm-hmm. Is is an okay anger to have? Well, right, righteous indignation, right? As well as the fact that if I'm not honest with myself that I am angry, then I can't even also pry a little deeper to figure out again what is the loss, mm-hmm. right? So acknowledging that you have this anger, that it is a symptom of something going on here behind the scenes, whether you're realizing it or not, and it if to, you just stuff it down, right? It doesn't help anything. I think. You know, if we try to just stuff down our anger, that it will seep out. It will find a way to bubble to the surface. Yeah. And if we are able to confront it and acknowledge it, 
and try to see, you know, where is this coming from and, and, and not shaming it, but recognize that this is a real emotion that you're having. That is one of the first steps that you can take to get past it and you can, you know, move on from there. Say another stage of grief is bargaining and, you know, that's sort of the, you know, God, if you just help me with X, Y, or Z, then I'll, you know, do this, you know, I'll do X, Y, or Z, right? Like, it's like you're going to bargain with God or some kind of higher power. Uh, and and it's also the time of the if-onlys. And I think that this is especially true for the forgiveness aspect of it, is the, if only I didn't, you know, go there that night, or if only I didn't, you know, ever date him. Or that happens a lot. If only I didn't, you know, and, and we put all this, like, Almost it, the danger of that, I would say, especially in the process of forgiveness, is to have self-blame. Yeah. If somehow you think that you were hurt because of something that you did, and when somebody hurts you, that is always their responsibility. That that is their, you know, you didn't, you know, you you didn't do that wrong. Now you might, in the process when somebody has hurt you, you might retaliate and hurt them back. And then you're responsible for what that is, whatever Mm. damage you did to somebody else. But that isn't to be confused with the fact that, I mean, we can sometimes try to recreate a situation over and over and over in our heads and, you know, just wish it away, you know, Mm. sort of like, because you just, I mean, it's sometimes unbearable to think of what has happened, right? This is a problem I have with a lot of the new age nonsense, and by by which I mean, and it's been used against me, um, that I'm manifesting the negativity that comes my way, right? Like, there's this idea, it, there's that idea in in like the kind of the the Hindu concept of karma mm-hmm. that also you find in this idea like like the secret um, where where we manifest our, our glory or, or, or Christian uh, televangelists where we, where we have positive thinking, we have faith and then we're going to get riches. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have riches, somehow, then we don't have enough faith. Yeah. If we, if we somehow are sinful or doubting, then we don't get healed. I, I get the same thing from relatively secular new age types mm-hmm. who want to say that like I'm a tr- like I'm attracting negative people into my life and it's my own fault. Now there's sometimes where you I, kind of see this working. It's kind of true. Yeah, and so I think that you know when when you push that into somebody harming you, I mean that's a different that's a different story, but I do think that there is there's an I think what they often are getting at is this element of you know if you're walking around grumpy and angry and you're going to do grumpy and angry things, people right. are going to act negatively towards you. And, you know, but if yeah. you, you know, are smiling totally true. and kind to people, you know, they, totally they want to true. smile back and then they often sometimes will even want to do something kind, but, you know, but for you But doesn't this go back to that idea of the just world hypothesis, the just world fallacy? That somehow you're, you're deserving what it is yeah. that you're, you've been given. We tell people, we tell, so like, and I think this is the hard part. We tell people who have been harmed, it's not your fault because that's the politically correct thing to do. And I agree that it's not their fault. And then secretly somebody wants to figure out why it how, is their fault, how they, how they got themselves in that situation. And they, and they want to figure it out. So, and it's out of fear. It's, it's totally out, out of fear, fear that, for the person who's judging right, it. Right. Because they don't want to be put yeah. in that same situation. Yeah. And so if they can somehow sum it up to something that you did or deserved, yeah. then they're not at risk. But but again, it's it's not just religious people. 
Yeah. It's people that want to think about it fatalistically. They want to think about it naturalistically or whatever. It's and sometimes just crappy things happen to people mm-hmm. oh, that and, are decent yeah. people. You know? just on accident, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it just completely random that can happen. And, and even as we're talking about this, part of the, the whole problem with the way we think about forgiveness is that sometimes we think you need to deserve forgiveness. Well, if you deserve forgiveness, then it's not really forgiveness. Too. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the hard part of this, mm-hmm. that we're dealing, when we're dealing with forgiveness, we're dealing with unjustified mercy. Yeah. And uh, it, to the extent that we want to say, if you cry enough, then I'll forgive you. What you're really saying is m- the, the payment I would like to exact instead of money is your tears. And yeah. so real forgiveness is a, just a real conundrum. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll go a little bit further, um, but I'll get to that in a minute because I do want to hold on to that idea about crying enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I want to talk a little bit. Another stage is depression. Mm-hmm. and Related to grief. Yes. And that's what we normally sometimes, you know, I think that that's probably the the most recognizable uh, stage. Almost synonyms, grief and depression (laughs) seem like synonyms. Right, and then that's that overwhelming sadness, the hopelessness, and and it seems unending. And and I think, though, still in the process of forgiveness, we do need to lament what was lost, right? There there is something there that you've lost, and it is appropriate, and your body will do it whether you're realizing Mm -hmm. it or not. And... Um, it, you'll wonder, will you ever be whole again? Will you ever feel feel normal? You know, after this, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, I, after know, a loss, after a loss, whether it's you know, you know, whether it's a loved one or whether it's just again the loss of trust, or you know, will I ever be able to trust again? Will I ever, you know? And then the other hard part about this stage is that it is a lot. You know, a lot of times people can spend more time in there and a lot of people start to eventually lose patience with people that are stuck in sort of this stuck in the sadness the sadness and you know we've oh, I've heard that and get I get over it put a I smile don't want to I just don't want to talk to Mary cuz she's just going to tell me you know how sad she still is and how she can't get over this boyfriend or whatever you know and even you know, we we get tired of it you know the outsiders looking in sometimes mm. and on top of that yeah like you said just get over it like even just Sometimes when you have a friend or whatever, and they're still going to be your friend, and they said they forgive you, and then you can tell that they're still like mopey and upset and whatever, and you're like, you know, I, I guess I think that the best uh, example of this would even be when a spouse has had an affair, right? And, okay, tell me more. And if the other spouse says they forgive them, and they still like, you know, they're still wrestling through, you know, this loss that they've had, and then then the spouse might, you know, be tempted to say, well, can't you just get over it? This happened so long ago. Like, we've already discussed this. We've, you know, we've, I don't know, we, there's no more to talk about here, and why, right. why can't you just get past it? You know, we, there's no future if you can't get beyond. And I think that, that it doesn't offer the space that it needs, the person that is grieving it, whatever, you know, that loss is, that they're not given that time. And and the more that um, we're fighting it sort of against that, again, it's kind of like with the anger. The well, against thing, any natural with the emotions, response, right? emotion, yeah. That, um, again, that you struggle with it even longer and being able to recognize that this is what I'm feeling. This is not to be confused with clinical depression. And if you do have clinical depression... You know, if you do have suicidal thoughts, if, you know, complete hopelessness, you definitely should talk to somebody. In fact, um, you know, 
a professional. Yeah, definitely talk to a professional and and work through that. Um, and and some and yeah. and I think a lot of times too we sort of equate you know sadness and depression unfairly with weakness, right? And and it's not. It's it's natural. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I don't know. I, Maybe I'm. Str- would I be stronger if I just didn't like let it affect me? I guess. No. I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, you mentioned about the shame part and I, I think that's a very real feeling. Um, well, it's definitely a real feeling, <laughs> but is it a feeling that I feel because I'm weak? Is it? I don't know. I, I don't mean, I, 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 I think the tree's I'm out. not, I'm not, I'm not putting that on you, but I think for me, at least I've always sort of, you know, when I think about it, I, th- I think that if I have been depressed or whatever, that, that isn't something that's more something again for me it's a weakness in, on me. I don't know. So that for me, you think of it that way. I think of it that way and it's not, you know, right. it's, and I'm not saying that I think, I don't think of that necessarily on other people. I was just thinking of it in general, the way I feel when I am feeling depressed. But all of us, some, at some point do go, just get over it. I think that's what, when sometimes people think about forgiveness, they hear that mm-hmm. get, can you get over it already? Mm-hmm. It happened two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, my experience is that most of the students that I've talked to that have had like pretty severe things happen that were traumatizing to them. It takes them three or four years to realize how traumatizing it was. It's like they're in shock for a while. Yeah, and that's the denial part. And they're almost angry at me. I mean, I think the thing that's been surprising to me is I'll say, "Well, that's kind of screwed up," and then they'll and they'll be almost mad at me for taking it. Like as seriously as I would take it, yeah, right? They're still in denial. They're not they're, ready. To right, process right. It. And I don't even, you know. But, but then the, the flip side is, there's another voice. There's another cultural pressure to not be irate, mm-hmm. but to in fact stay as you were and keep it quiet. Keep your frustration with whatever happened quiet. Yeah. So whether it's yeah. frustration or sadness, I mean, any of it, we. You know, you almost get this feeling that you should squash these emotions. Yeah. And it's it's hard. The more that that is done to us, the harder it is for us to actually process it and to move on. People don't care. You know, I think people don't care if you have emotions. They just don't want emotions. They're going to screw up the system or make them uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, they don't care you know? if, you, if it's in your corner. But, yeah. if it, but sometimes... There are friends, like, like I said, they will tire of hearing. Every time I talk to so-and-so, I just hear about how, you know, how mopey they are, how sad they are. And it, and it's, it can be a drain on, on people that are but, trying to keep... And even when it's not a drain, do you know how many times there are people where there's somebody we know that's got a totally legitimate point about something they're frustrated by, and the number one, like, dominant tone of the rest of the crew is that person's bad for bringing us down or that, you know what I'm saying? Like, why can't like, or, or they're not, or they're not complaining in a way that that's sounds nice. It's upsetting me. I don't like the tone of their complaint. Well, and, and if I think about it too, there's so many times when, and when we've had an argument or whatever, you will say, I just want to know that I've been heard. Right, that whether it's an argument or not, yeah. Like there are times when we I'm have not, long conversations. Well, what, what I <laughs> heated, I don't no, know, no. Yeah, heated yeah. conversation yeah. or whatever. I don't yeah. want to say, are you, but I'm just saying you you want to be heard, and I think in my mind, okay, yeah, I got that. I'm acknowledging that, and then I'm you know I want to point out this or that or whatever, and I'm realizing you know that again, if you are able to properly feel like you were heard, it's easier to then move on from that particular point. Yes. 
and in ourselves. I mean, yes. I think, yeah, like, I think where you're going with this, the application is right. And so... You can't forgive what you don't acknowledge. You so sometimes when you, you know, mention these groups of friends, if they had all just gathered around the person and said, you know what? We hear you. And this is terrible. Or whatever. Or we, Dude, you know, none of our, us are listening to any of us. No, we're not listening. We're hardly listening to our own freaking selves. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think... What a tragedy we are we're all, we're all We're all worried about all the debts that oh, we man, have no and everything else. No one's listening to nobody. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're listening for praise and they're listening for when I'm going to get paid sometimes, you know? Yeah, there's... Yeah, they... And, <sighs> you know, even... <laughs> I, I was hearing... I was hearing a podcast and I just remember they were talking about even when you're saying like when people are apologizing or whatever, or come up to somebody with an agree, sorry, with a grievance. Usually we're listening with an ear that we want to like be able to disprove what they're saying, what's not right about it. And we're going to be quick to correct them about what, what right. they can disagree on rather than listening and then saying, you know what, you know, I can agree with, this aspect of it, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry for that or whatever. Anyway, um, stages of grief, though, here, let me get back to it. Yeah, the, what's the last stage? The last stage is acceptance. And that isn't to say that it's like in, in the process of forgiveness here, it's not to say um, that it's about everything being okay and that it's all right. Okay? Because accepting, it's not that you've accepted. <laughs> um, you're not accepting your. Saying your, that it's. That it's all right. That it's you know, that you know. You're not saying that um, those toxic behaviors aren't okay. acceptable. They're not yeah. acceptable. But you're accepting the fact that this is reality. This is your new reality. This has happened, and and the point of acceptance is that idea that um, this is your new reality looks a little different, and you can be you know real with the fact that you have these scars. You know that you have been hurt in some of these ways, right? Um, But then you realize that, you know, this is the way I'm going to go forward with life, you know, um, with, with this there as part of, part of who, who you are. It's part of your story. It's part of what has formed you. Um, But that you don't have to, you know, you're at a point where that isn't all that you are anymore. um, That, there is a new reality beyond it and there is life and maybe trust again and things like that. Um, even if it's with different people. And I think that acceptance is an important piece to actually being able to have forgiveness because I think you're still in the process. If you can't ever get to acceptance and sometimes you may not be able to, um, it's really hard to, if you haven't gotten, um, to acceptance, it's really hard to really unattach that cord that might be connecting you to that person because you're still processing it. You're still thinking about this and, and that if you can get to the point of saying, okay, this happened, this is now my life that it, how I'm going to be going forward. And, um, I'm not, you know, sometimes, you know, people say, I'm not going to let this, you know, stop me from again, trusting again or whatever, getting a new friend or, you know, whatever it is that you need to, that doesn't mean again, as we've said before, that doesn't mean that you're setting yourself up to be re-injured by the person that hurts you in that same way. Uh, in fact, I think by learning the lessons that you've learned from that interaction, you know, you you come now with a slightly different, more mature, probably even view of life, right? Mm-hmm. And and understanding, and that that will inform your future relationships or future interactions. And 
And especially, you know, because you're going to grow through the whole process, right? And that if you just go right back into putting yourself into the exact same position to get hurt the same way from the same person, I think that's foolhardy. I don't think that that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. But if the person can actually display true repentance, then it's possible to trust them again. And by, Very rare. But when I say true repentance, what I'm saying there is, it's not the, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please, you know, like I'll never do that yeah. again. It's, it's actually seeing the whole relationship or whatever it is in a different way. Right? Which is why identifying it's, the sin or identifying the problem is so important. It's not that you need them to grovel. No. You need them to see where the dang thing was off. Yes. Yeah, so friends, listen, if you're listening to this, here's, here's the upshot of this. If there's somebody in your life that is is under this like unbearable burden because they've done something against you, especially if it's something that was not... Uh, Go to the chapter. We're not dealing with trauma. In fact, a very important piece of this is to separate out um, trauma from indebtedness, from from these th- things that we have against each other that are more, you know, the day to day grievances. But if somebody is is under this like e- extreme sense of debt to you, releasing them can be a wonderful gift, and uh, you don't have to release them and trust them. But if you were to trust somebody, if you were to restore a full relationship with somebody, you would need repentance as long as you understand that repentance is that moment when somebody is seeing things in a new light. Right. So, or can I say this? Yeah. So even when you think of when it comes to, say, the money situation, if, if somebody actually you know, borrows money, can't pay it back or whatever, um, and, you know, you forgive them the debt. If they if they come and ask for more money from you, you pretty much only give it to them if you realize you're not going to get it back. Right? And this is, I mean, this is in the New Testament also. If always assume that. Yes, and you really should. It's and actually, that's my lesson. This I've is, this in is life true. If you're going to loan loan somebody some money, you can do it. You know, mm-hmm. you can let them pay you back. But if you're if you're going to expect it from them. If you're going to exploit them in that process, that's a right. no, no, no good. I mean, you can change. So I guess what I'm saying too is you can change the nature of a relationship so that they aren't privy to your most vulnerable th- thoughts or things. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That um, so that what they won't have the same ammunition to use against you. But you right. doesn't mean you have to cut them out of your life in order, you know, to to not put them in the same exact position mm-hmm. where, say, that was a breach of trust or something. But this instance. goes back to what you're saying about acceptance. Acceptance is just dealing with reality. So, And then you, you say, okay, this happened to me. Yeah. Um, I am now, you know, here's who I am now because of this. And I don't need, you know, I don't need to keep ha- having this thing define who I am. Mm -hmm. or that this is all my life will ever be. And so you're able at that point, if you can kind of, you know, just say, okay, this was an unhealthy part or something, right? Or this person did harm me and here's what I lost. You recognize the scars. You recognize also that those scars are not the totality of who you are. Yeah. And then you're able to sort of cut sort of that power that they have over you (laughs) in a way. You get back back Mm -hmm. your own power because now you're going to proceed with your life, you know, 
kind of in you know in spite of what's happened right mm-hmm. and and it isn't all about that and it isn't all about that person and you don't always have to think about that person because the more that you know you're still as you're figuring all this out i mean that person is just constantly in your mind right mm-hmm. and and they're in your life and you can choose to not let them have that same space now they might you know it's still part of your past so there's going to be times where you might get triggered and mm-hmm. remember something or whatever your body may react mm-hmm. to stimuli of all sorts right and there's going to be moments where you know all of a sudden you'll least expect it and maybe this will come up but then you can also recognize okay that's what this is and and you know again not letting it incapacitate you you know or if it is Take a moment and honor it. Figure out what that is, you know, and maybe there's still more that you need to process too. That's the other thing. Yeah. So friends, I mean, you know, the deal is here, Stacy has uh, been trained with respect to end of life work and mm-hmm. the end of life doula work. Uh, I, I think it was really, thank you, Stacy. I think it's really powerful as you're bringing this idea of grieving to this conversation about forgiveness. Right. Because we often don't think about the losses that we have. And in the midst of even grieving terminal illness, mm-hmm. the death of a loved one or our own impending death, one of the things that I think we've, we've both been dis- exploring over the last couple of years is that idea that, you know, by releasing some of those false assumptions about what we should be clinging to. Yeah. Um, that we can be liberated, that we can be emancipated right. from some things. And I think, yeah, when especially, you know, as you, as the more unfinished business you have in life, the less peace you end up having. And mm-hmm. so that the more that when there is something, um, you know, again, where these emotions come up or whatever. You confront reality. If you confront it and are able to process it and deal with it, you will find that there is a good, and there's peace on the other side. Yeah, so as we are dealing with end-of-life issues especially, or even just life in general, the, the more unfinished business that we have, I mean, it will, that's when you don't have that peace. And then the more that you can sort of confront and process, you know, whether any of your losses and and can get, you know, when you can have forgiveness um, and, and stop attaching yourself to, um, you know, just being pulled into, you know, the, the hurt and the pain and the regret of all of it. And, you know, again, if you can get to the other side, then that is where you are able to, you know, get that, that taste of that deep peace upon peace. And that's what I wish for all of you, my friends, like you're never, it's never too early to start looking at where, where is unfinished business and how can you address it and how can you get past it and how, and can, how can you accept you those start, losses? Yeah, and how can you start living life with the peace instead of holding on to, you know, the, the pockets of pain, you know, that we are, are storing and holding on to. And, and it's okay if that's where you're at, but it, by acknowledging it and processing through that, I think that's where, you know, you will eventually be able to get to that other side. See, uh, I don't know. Like it feels sometimes like such a weight and burden that it gets lifted off of you and that you can really just start to People know it. You can start They're still to, afraid to let it happen. You can start to live and you can start yeah. to dance again and you can start, you know, and and you realize that there is so much more beauty on the other side. And that's what I want for you friends that's and what I, want. I hope that you're able to get that taste of deep peace upon peace.
Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.